Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Woo! I'm excited. All right. How are we doing, family? We good? Great. Well, um, God has got an absolute treat for us uh, this morning, I believe, and this evening. And um, if I can just lend my two cents, I know Pastor Nate already encouraged you about making time to be at anointing service tonight. But um, something that I really value is the prophetic word of God. There's nothing like it, really. There's not. Um, a couple of, no, it was last weekend where the elders actually got together and we prayed for one, ano- one another. We anointed each other and we waited on God for a word to prepare to do that for each and every one of you. And um, Wendy gave Pastor Nate and myself this word about um, in this next season, really, it's actually all going to be about stepping out in faith and seeing with our eyes of faith. And so I, I was like, yep, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that word. And then last night I had this dream and it was the scariest dream I've had in a long time. And the the sad thing about my dreams is that um, when I remember them, they tend to be prophetic. So they tend to be God trying to speak to me about something. But in my dream, I basically had to face my worst fear. Like think of your worst fear. I know for each and every one of you, it could be different. It could be like clowns. It could be, I don't know, balloons popping. For me, it's like, something really scary. Um, And so I I remember freaking out in my dream. But then I woke up and this morning it was just there in the back of my head. And then God brought me that word that Wendy had shared with us, that, that verse about seeing with my eyes of faith. And then all of a sudden the fear that was so real, you know when fear grips you and you're sleeping? Yeah, I, I mean, I hope you don't experience that too much. Um, but when it does, it's, it's really real. Um, but as I remembered the prophetic word of God that God had prepared my heart, already put into my heart, the, the fear surrounding this dream, the fear of this next season started to dissipate. And so that's, why, that's one of the reasons why I really treasure and, and really find precious the prophetic Word of God. And so I know that for some of you, you've already had occasions where God has literally helped prepare you for a season that was tough because He gave you prophetic insight, because He gave you a word of knowledge. And tonight, that's exactly what it's about. We want to um, lay hands, we want to pray for you, but we want to help to set you up for this next season. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Fantastic. So this morning, um, we are finishing off our God in Us series. Who loved hearing Joshua Kemp last week? That was awesome. That was so good. Um, And this week, we're going to continue that. But this is our last week talking about this series. And um, really, in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and who He is and um, who He is as a person, His nature, His character. Because when we get to know someone, we begin to trust them a whole lot more. And so today, what I want to do is take us from kind of that position to how do we actually receive Holy Spirit? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit? How do we see Him moving and living? Because the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as this active person in our life, right? He's active. 
He has a voice. He does things. Um, and as believers, you know, we, there's something on the inside of us that wants to, to see that happen in our world more. We don't want to just watch people and how they can lay hands on the sick and they see the sick recover, but we don't ever seem to get that. Or, you know, they can give people prophetic words, words of insight, but we never seem to be able to hear enough from God. Well, this morning, I want to share a few things with you. And I want us to go on a journey together in, in order for us to actually really step into that place because that's God's desire for each and every one of us, that we would actually partner with His Spirit. It's not for uh, Pastor Nate and myself or the people who are, you know, on this stage, on this pulpit. It's not for people who, uh, you know, have had years of being holy and kind of living as monks or whatever. It's not just for people like that. It's for each and every one of us, you and me. And so that's the journey we're going to go on this morning. And um, as we begin, I want to talk to you about engagement. Everyone loves a good engagement, right? Who, who here loves engagement? Yep, it's cool. It's good. Awesome. Um, for Pastor Nate and I, we got engaged uh, a year and five months, I think it was, um, into our dating relationship. And I remember... Um, because you know how you have to book things for like your wedding and stuff. So we had to book a venue and then when we got married, it took about um, like venues tend to be booked up a year in advance. And so um, we kind of had an idea of when we would like to get married. Um, and so we had to start looking for a venue because we were about a year out from that. But we weren't engaged yet. There was no ring on this finger when we started to look for wedding venues. And um, I, I remember, yeah, okay, it's necessary. We've got to start doing this. But there was something in me that was a little bit frustrated because we started to look at wedding venues and wedding things. And it was like, yay, there's this kind of promise out there that we're going to get married one day. But there's no promise on my finger. There's no pledge. There's no engagement ring on this finger yet. But then um, a little while later, I was actually due to go um, live in Indonesia for a month to work with an organization that our previous church had partnered with. Um, and yeah, basically I was going to go over there and live for a month. And um, right before I went to leave, I'd kind of forgotten and was a bit like, oh, it's a little bit too late for Nate to pop the question now. But he worked it out. So just before I left, maybe like a few days or a week before, uh, he prepared everything really nicely and, and he got down on one knee and he proposed to me before I left for Indonesia. And the legend or the joke really that we put out there is that uh, Nate wanted to put a ring on my finger before I went to Indonesia so that some Indonesian man doesn't romance me and sweep me off my feet and get in first like that was going to happen. Um, but, but that's how our story, our little engagement story happen, um, happened. But the reason why I wanted to bring up the word engagement is that the Bible actually talks about the Holy Spirit being a form of engagement ring from God to us. I love that uh, the response I just got from some of you, your eyes kind of raised up and will be like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk a bit more about that. All right. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, He, being God, 
anointed us and placed His seal on us and put His Spirit in our hearts as a pledge of what is to come. Sounds kind of engagement-y, right, there? Because it's talking about how God gives us His Spirit as a pledge for what is to come. Now, the word seal and pledge in this Scripture in the Greek is actually translated to, and I hope there's no Greek scholars here because my pronunciation is probably going to be off, um, but the word agabon, 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 not sure, could be that, um, but this word agabon. And what this word actually translates to in our English language is engagement ring. How crazy is that? So when we read in this scripture that God places his seal, he puts his spirit in us as a pledge of what's to come, of, of marriage, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that he gives us his spirit as this engagement ring. Now, for some of us, we're like, oh, that's a bit weird, right? God, us, marriage, doesn't really... You know, that's a bit weird. Because uh, when we think of engagement, we think of love. We think of two people committing their lives to each other. We think about um, romance. We think about um, how the man has wooed the woman and, and has proposed. Yeah, that's exactly what God is actually talking about. That he has these romantic inclinations towards us. And, you know, some of us don't feel very comfortable with that because how we experience God is that, well, I, I've never felt wooed by God. I've never really felt His love in this kind of a way that, God, you would really romance me? You'd really see me in this kind of a light? Yes, absolutely. And so we're going to actually have a look at Pentecost, the account of Pentecost in the Bible, to actually pull apart this um, a little bit more. But, you know, often when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and filling us and being in our life and us partnering with Him, we talk about the account of Pentecost in the book of Acts, right? We talk about how um, after Jesus died and rose again, um, how the believers are in one place and the, there's a sound like the rushing of wind and the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills everyone and they begin speaking in these new languages. You see, that is Pentecost. That's Pentecost that happens after Jesus has come. But there's a, an original Pentecost. There's a Pentecost that actually happened on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Um, we won't actually go into the, the passage of Scripture just because it literally Pentecost at Mount Sinai spans a few chapters and so we don't have time to read a few chapters but if you want to go and read it for yourself you can begin in Exodus 19 and it goes for the next three to four chapters um, but basically what's happening here now, this is Old Testament. So what has just happened as God um, is having this encounter with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, what's just happened is that God has rescued the Israelites from Egypt. You see, the Israelites used to be slaves in Egypt. They would be slaves to Pharaoh. They um, made up a great workforce for Pharaoh, but they were slaves. And God heard their cry. God heard their need for salvation. And so God, through a series of plagues that he sends and a series of actions, God actually brings out the people in this beautiful story of salvation from Egypt. And he brings them out into the desert where we see him meet with them in Mount Sinai. 
Um, and a lot of us know this account of the handing of the Ten Commandments from God to the people, right? Um, that it's kind of the interchangeable name, God giving us Ten Commandments or Mount Sinai. That's what we call this account. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, wait, wait. We just talked about engagement. We just talked about all the lovey-dovey stuff. And now you're talking about Ten Commandments. Yeah, I can see how that's a little bit of a jump there. And to be honest, if Pastor Nate came when he proposed to me that day with a list of 10 commandments of you shall do this and you won't do that, how many of you know I wouldn't have been very impressed? And I don't think any wives here would have been impressed with your husband if they had done that. Um, But you know what? We read the 10 commandments as, yes, God's instruction, his commands upon the people. You know, sometimes because the Ten Commandments follows God's um, saving the Israelites from Egypt, that maybe sometimes we think that God saved them from slavery from Pharaoh only to make him slaves of himself, that maybe he wanted them to actually be his workforce and maybe be his slaves. I can see how it's very easy to see that. But the thing is, if we were to put ourselves in the Israelites' shoes, they wouldn't have felt that way whatsoever. But they would have known that God was actually proposing marriage at this point in time. They, I think they would have been jumping out of their skin. I think their mind would be absolutely blown that, hang on, wait, wait, wait. We get that this happens between man and woman, this whole marriage covenant, but God, what are you doing? What are you, what is this, what are you about to do? And so when God actually gives the Ten Commandments to uh, the Israelites, he's actually proposing marriage. Because how Jewish people used to do marriage is that literally a man would go to uh, the woman he would like to propose marriage to, and he would go to her with these lists of ten conditions and, and just requests, and he would give it to the woman and basically they had to form an agreement. It was very, it was almost like a contract really. But he would go and then the woman would receive it and she would look at those regulations and and the contract and you know, if she agreed, great. If she didn't, she had permission to change some things and and to come back to the man and to say, okay, can we agree on this? And that that was a proposal. How many of you did that to your wives, men? Did, no? No? Yeah? Oh, sort of? Ernie? Well done. Well done. He's got a Jewish background, no. <laughs> but that's literally what, what a proposal would look like. And so for the Israelites standing at the foot of this mountain, they're like, oh my goodness, a marriage is about to happen between us and God. Mind blown. And so what this actually means is that God was inviting the people to become his. You know, when Pastor Nate proposed to me, he was inviting me into a covenant relationship with him to become his, and he would become mine. We were entering into this exclusive marriage covenant, and that's what God was doing. And it's really quite interesting. We see the Israelites' uh, response to God when they realize what is happening, and 
if you read into it a little bit and look into what the Jewish scholars um, said about the time is that the Israelites literally were standing there in awe. It's a bit like when a guy does pop the question to the woman he's going to marry and she's just there in awe and she's just giddy and too excited really to do anything else. But it says of the Israelites that they were standing there and they were jumping out of their skin and, and they started to sing that song that was singing, what could I say, what could I do, but offer this heart to you they begun to sing to God and begun to say God we will do everything that you ask of us we will obey every single command and then what happens is the presence of God descends from Mount Sinai into the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence would remain with the people and the people with God we have a marriage. It's such a beautiful picture when you actually realize what is going on, that God isn't this commander giving command, commandments to his slaves, but he's actually a husband coming and wooing his people and saying, come on, be mine, be my people, belong to me, and I will be your God. It's a beautiful picture. And so we see that happen, but straight after this, God gives uh, the Israelites a command to bring this particular type of offering to him. And it's really interesting that we actually make note that there's a marriage going on and then this offering uh, comes into play. And what uh, God asks the people to do is to actually bring leavened bread to him with oil. And so what we've got to understand is that in the Bible, leaven actually, it's a, kind of like a yeast. So if you left the leaven in the bread, it would be nice and fluffy. If you left it out, it'd be like crackers. Um, so that was basically what it was. Um, but God was saying, leave the leaven in. But leaven represented sin. When the Bible talks about leaven, it actually talks about sin. And in the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's talked about how get rid of leaven, all of it, you know, sweep it out of your house. And, and Jesus warns um, his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees to, to get rid of the sin from your life. And yet, interestingly, in this offering, God says, no, no, bring to me leavened bread, not unleavened, leaven. And then he says, bring the oil. And what the oil represents is Holy Spirit is his anointing. And so what God is saying through this offering is that bring this offering to me and I will promise to pour out my spirit, talking about the oil, onto sinful humanity, sinful flesh. So we see this marriage where God is saying, I need you to fulfill this Israel and you will be my people and I will be your God but also bring this offering. You know, it's this picture of how God knows that the Israelites, even though they're wowed and in awe of their beautiful husband, say yes, that they're actually not able to fulfill the covenant. They actually aren't able to hold up their end of the bargain. And so God sees through time. <laughs> he saw through time. He sees you and I today at that point. He saw through time and, and he's like, okay, but I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make it so that even though you sin against me, you can bring a sin offering to me and I will continue to pour out my spirit on your life. I will continue to give you my Holy Spirit to dwell with you, to show you this covenant of love and for us to walk together. It's a beautiful picture. And you know, the Israelites, they say yes, but 
but they're still afraid. There's still fear there. And so Moses goes to represent the people to God. And, um, and that's uh, basically the account of Pentecost in Mount Sinai. And you might be sitting here thinking, okay, that's wonderful in that the Israelites are in this covenant with God and, and they get to receive him as, as husband, as this person who loves, loves them and, and will give his spirit to them. But um, I'm sitting here and, and I'm Australian or, or um, I, I'm not Jewish. Um, what does that have to do with me, Beck? What we got to know is that this Pentecost that happened at Mount Sinai, because it was the very first, it actually set a pattern for, or yeah, a kind of pattern or a shadow of what was to come during the Acts Pentecost. And so if we fast forward and have a look at what happened during um, the Acts Pentecost is that we know it is post-Jesus. And so Jesus had come and he had done his work. What did he come to do? He came to not only fulfill the Ten Commandments, fulfill the covenant that God required of the Israelites, but He also came to be the sin offering. He came as this perfect person, sinless, no sin at all, but He became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. So these two regulations that God had given to Israel to be in covenant with Him and to receive His Holy Spirit for themselves, Jesus actually fulfills on their behalf. But what's more, He fulfills on our behalf. The Bible talks about how for God so loved the world, the whole world, not just the Jewish people, not just the Israelites who lived way back then, but the whole world, every single person that would ever walk on the face of this earth. God loved each and every one of them. He loves each and every one of us. And that's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this morning, we see that Jesus fulfills the covenant that we were actually meant to step into. And this morning, I want to give an opportunity for any person who feels like, well, actually, I've never come to this place where I've received Jesus. I've never made Jesus my Lord and Saviour, and I'm still trying to get right on my own. Well, this morning, I don't want to go any further without us praying together, taking a moment to actually invite Jesus into your heart. But maybe for you, you have done this, but you know you've stuffed up your part of the covenant. You've stuffed up your part of the vow and you've actually turned your back on God thinking that He has rejected you, thinking that He won't take you back. But this morning, God is there and He's always been knocking at the door of your heart and He wants you to open it and invite Him in once more. And so this morning, what we're going to do is that we're actually all going to pray. And I would love for you to repeat this prayer after me because the Bible talks about if you believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. That salvation actually comes to you. And so in this moment, if that's where you're at, then all you need to do is repeat these words, confess them with me, and believe in your heart. So we're going to pray together, and you can follow along. All right. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and my salvation. I believe in you and ask you to be my Lord and Saviour. 
In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, then we've got two things that I would love to invite you to, to take a hold of. We've got a Bible for you that we'd love to give you at the end of the experience. But as well, we have um, a little tool that's going to help you out. And I think the phone number will come up on the screen. But basically, you can text the word LIFE to this phone number that's coming up. And for the next 30 days, we will send you a text message encouraging you about this journey with God about this walk uh, that you've begun here this morning and we'll teach you a little bit more about Jesus and who this person is who has come and made you righteous, made you right with God. And so if you want to text that number, you can do that. You can do that now if you want. You can do it after the experience and we'll get that to you. But picking up from the story. So we've seen that in Acts, it's, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. We see through Pentecost, sorry, it, on Mount Sinai and in the book of Acts, Acts that it is Jesus, it's faith in Jesus that allows us to receive the Holy Spirit, that allows Holy Spirit really to be poured out on our humanity, even if we're broken, even if we have sinned and fallen short, which by the way is every one of us, the Bible says. Um, and it's because of in Jesus that we can stand. But I know that in every relationship and particularly in a marriage kind of covenant relationship that there is still work to be done, that there is still, um, there's a necessity to build on this relationship. And, but what we never lose is this revelation that it's in Christ that we first stand, that it's not on our own. It's not through our own efforts of making us right, but it's through Jesus. That becomes the cornerstone, the foundation of our faith. But as we begin to talk now more a bit about how we can partner with the Holy Spirit, how we can have His work and His Word in our life more and more, there are a couple of things that we see in the life of the Israelites that they actually fall short of doing. But these couple of things as well we see in the Bible, they're actually healthy things to input into the marriage covenant for that, for that partnership uh, to grow. And so if you are taking notes this morning, the first thing I want to um, give to you, a tool I want to provide to you this morning is this principle of leaving and cleaving. This principle of leaving and cleaving. What does this mean? So for the Israelites, even though they'd been saved by God, even though God had gotten down on one knee and proposed to them and promised to be their God forever, they had this difficulty. They didn't actually let go of the past, of the fact that they were slaves, but now they, they belong to God. Now they were God's people, but they never let go of that old identity. They didn't leave the past and they didn't cleave to their new identity as God's people. And it's the same for us this morning. You know, we've got to learn how to leave things pre-Holy Spirit um, in order to take hold of what is um, Holy Spirit and His partnership in our lives. You know, a real, I guess, normal kind of example of this is that when Pastor Nate and I um, got married, you know, there was this necessary leaving of my old house, my old home, and a necessary leaving of my uh, last name in order to take on Nate's last name. 
there was this necessary leaving of home in order for us to create this new home ourselves. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Now, we would have had complications in our marriage. There would have been limits to how close we could grow, how we could grow in our actual partnership and our communication and and, um, acting on each other's behalves if we didn't actually move out of, of our old homes and come together to be as one. And if I didn't take off my old name, I would have never, um, we wouldn't have never learned what it is to be our family with our family name. And it's the same with us and Holy Spirit. You know, there, there are some mindsets in our life where before we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we, we can't seem to let go, we can't seem to shake. But Holy Spirit, that's where He helps us as well, is that He helps us to get rid of old mindsets, old things that we believed about ourselves, whether that is we actually believe that we are lesser than, like the Israelites would have believed about themselves. They would have believed themselves to be these small people because they were slaves, they were mistreated. And they would have believed that this God is probably going to mistreat us as well. They had to leave those mindsets behind and they had to enter into, they had to cleave to God and being His people. Did I have any idea what our family culture would be when I married Nate? No, I didn't. I didn't know how to change and become like that. It's, it's still taking us years to actually articulate that and to work that out and what that is. But it started with that first necessary step of leaving what was old and cleaving to what is new. And this morning, I want to encourage some of you here today. You, you know God has been speaking to you about things that you need to let go of. And this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to actually finally let go and actually leave those things at God's feet and cling on to what He has for us so that we can go into the future partnering with Him and seeing Him move in our life in a whole uh, bigger way, in a better way. And the second thing is that we honour the presence of the Holy Spirit. We honour who He is. You see, the Israelites, they never learnt to honour God as their God. You know, they were in awe, yes, when they said yes to Him, but then they slowly forgot and they started to complain and they grumbled instead of actually going to God and asking Him for help because that would have been honouring. Because that says that God, even though the situation is going on right now, I'm calling upon You because You are my helper. I know that You can help me. That's showing honour to God. And you know, in times where, um, this is actually a real recent revelation for me, but in order for me to actually get Nate's help and draw out his best so that my life can be blessed and our marriage can be blessed and our future can be blessed, it's important that I honour him, that I actually lift him up, that I actually esteem him. Because when I do, it draws out his gifts, it draws out his knowledge, it draws out his insight and his wisdom, and it actually invites him into a partnership it was me and and when people are invited in then they can actually act on our behalf and it's the same with the Holy Spirit that when we begin to honor him and who he is and what he makes available to us we're actually inviting him in to partner with us to actually show himself to manifest himself in our life even more you know it's great as a concept but what does that look like in real time 
Well, we touched on this a couple of weeks ago and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. That's one of His roles, that's one of His names, one of His titles. And so when we place honour on the fact that He's the Spirit of Truth, it means we're placing honour on the fact that He knows everything. That He is everything, He knows everything about the universe, spiritual and non-spiritual. He is the go-to guy. And so... If we take a step back and if you think about your own life, do you call on the Holy Spirit to help you? Do you call on the fact that He knows everything or do you just go about life doing things the way you know how? Doing things based on your past experience, doing things based on what you think is best to do or do you stop and consider, hey, maybe Holy Spirit wants to weigh in on this. Do you go about life by yourself or are you calling him in as your comforter, as the friend that sticks closer than a brother? Do you actually ask him to be in your space with you? That's all it can be practically. That's what it looks like, placing honour on Holy Spirit. It's actually asking him and drawing on who he is. And this morning, if we can invite the band to come up, I wanted us to... Finish off on this note and finish off on this space of actually reflecting for a few moments and asking God, God, how can I honour you in my life so that I can see the Holy Spirit move in and through me? So right now, why don't you stand to your feet? The band's going to lead us in a song, but as... They sing over us. What I want you to do is begin to open up your heart to God. You begin to talk to God. I can't do this for you. I will certainly love to pray with you after the experience. But for right now, why don't you begin by closing your eyes. For some of you, it's lifting your hands as a sign of surrender and God, I am open. But why don't you begin to ask God, God, How can I honour you so that I can see you, Holy Spirit, living and moving? I want this more than anything. Holy Spirit, I want you. I want your wisdom. I want your counsel. I want your truth in my life. I want you to be able to act on my behalf and to give me the strength and empowerment I need for my call. So God, how can I honour you? So why don't you begin to talk to God as the band leads us. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.